Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. And Kyle all went to go play golf, which... If any of you guys know golf, it is the most wonderful, frustrating game on the planet. It is, it is amazingly fun and yet frustrating at the same time. And so we're out there and we're, we're playing golf and uh, me and Kyle are teamed up, teamed up and believe it or not, we beat Chris and Alan. I mean, it was amazing because Chris, this is Kyle's first time playing golf. So it's me and Kyle. I mean, and Chris is a good golf player. But I'm just going to tell everybody we destroyed them. It was, it was amazing. I'm, like, hitting, like, shots, like, thank you, Jesus. Like, it's my birthday. And, and Chris is up there, and Chris is on, on the, the putting green, and he's just like, hold on, wait. I'm, I'm, Chris has played with uh, Mr. D.D. White before, and he says, I got to do what D.D. White says. He says, first, I, I got to stop. I got to listen to the birds. I got to smell the grass, and I'm going to make this putt. And he missed every putt <laughs> on the back nine. And he's just, like, wanting to, like, break his club in half, you know. But we're just having a good time. We're having, we're having a fun time. And so if you ever played golf, you know there's this thing called a mulligan. And so basically it means every time Chris hits the ball, he gets to hit another one. That's what a mulligan means. No, it means once you've hit it, if you hit a bad shot, you could do a do-over. It's like, all right, let me try that shot again. Let me do a do-over. But in life... There is no mulligans. There is no, I'm going to do that over again. It's today is the day. This is the moment. Now is your time. So often we're waiting for things, and I think God sometimes is just like, now. Now is your time. This is the moment. The things that have been on your heart, the things that you have been desiring, the things that you've been looking forward, the things that are constantly in the back of your mind, the dreams, the hopes, the visions, maybe those things that we've given up on a long time ago, God is saying, now. Now is the time. And in the next few weeks, I'm going to talk to you guys a lot about where I kind of feel like God is saying with the church and where we're going as a whole. But uh, I really just get the sense of this kind of leading out. The, and, and whenever I was just praying about the new year, like, God, where are you taking us? Uh, I, I could just read the book of Exodus and, and going into the book of Leviticus, and I just kind of felt like saying that's kind of where you're at right now. There's the leading out. I'm taking you out. I'm moving you towards something. And that was kind of the word that really kind of stuck out for me. It was towards that as a church, as a family, as individuals, we're all moving towards that promise, towards that thing that we've looked at and hoped for so long. So the question is, will we have the faith, the courage to make that step and that movement towards something? What are we going to move towards this year? Because there is no do-overs. You're born, you have this life, and if Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. I mean, it's going to happen. And Happy New Year! 
kind of put things into perspective. But the thing is, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I mean, you, we all have this understanding knowing that our time is limited. We know that we're going to die. We know time is precious. And yet we organize our priorities. And as Christians, a lot of us really have our priorities in the same way where God comes first, family comes second. And that's really, as a Christian believer in the faith, that's really what we all can agree, these are our priorities. Number one, God is first in our life. Number two is our family above anything else. And then number three can sometimes be a little bit different with other people. Some, some people would put friends there. Some people would put work into that spot. Some people would put uh, church into that spot. But no matter where, God is always number one for the believer. Number one priority. Number two, our family. But yet, how often is that how we live? How often do we live as God is our number one priority? How often does number three or number four take the place of number one or even number two? How often does work get put above our family? How often does friends or relationships or different things get put above? How often does the church get a put above our family, above God? And anytime we get them out of order, it's just disaster waiting to happen. But the thing is, again, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. You know this. You know God needs to be number one in your life. But yet, somehow, each year we set our resolutions, we set our priorities, we know what we do. But yet we live out as if it's something else. If someone else were to come up to us and evaluate our lives and look at us that didn't know us, would they look at you and say, man, you could tell that God is first in their life. Or wouldn't they look at you, this is a person that maybe money's number one, or maybe even your family is number one. Priorities, it's easy to get out of whack. It's easy to each year go and, and look at these things and, and know what to do, yet live a different way. It's easy to look at the candy bar and know that it's not good for us, but yet we're still going to eat it. It's easy to say, man, fruit, good. Cake, good. Fruit cake, bad. <laughs> but yet you still give them as gifts. Do not do that anymore. Fruit, yes. Cake, yes. Fruit cake, please, never, ever again. No one wants it. The dogs don't want it. They're like, no, no. I don't. That's, that's fruitcake. I don't. It's easy to know these things. It's another thing to do it. The trick is not having the right priorities. The trick is in not setting just the right goals. The trick is in living it out. The trick is in walking it day by day. So suppose there was a man. And this man had two sons. And to one son, he said this. He said, son, I have a vineyard out there, and it needs some work. It needs some things to be done. I would like you to go out and work in my vineyard. To which the son replies to the father, no, I do not think so. And he turns, and he walks away. 
And so this man had another son, and he looked at that son, and he said, Son, I have some work that needs to be done in the vineyard. Will you please go and work? To which the son looks at the father and says, Sure, Dad, I will. Then goes and does not work in the vineyard, does not do what the father had asked him to do. And so Jesus tells this story in Matthew 21. He tells this story about these two sons, one that says he will do it and doesn't, another son that says he won't do it. And yet, when, after he says he won't do it, the Bible says, on going his own way, he came to himself, he thought, hmm, maybe I should really do what the father says. The Bible says that he repented and went and worked in the field. He said no, but yet he went and worked anyway. One said yes, and he didn't do it. And then Jesus tells the story, and then he poses this question. He said, which of these two sons did the will of the father? And to which all the people around him, all the Pharisees and all the scribes and all the teachers of the law and all the disciples and everyone that was looking at him said, obviously, the son that went and did it, the one that worked in the field, even though he said no. His actions proved otherwise. Words are cheap. Words are easy. It's easy to say, yes, I will do things. It's easy to make resolutions. It's easy to go over there to Gold's Gym, to sign your name on the contract, lay down your money, and join the gym for 2012. It's another thing come April to still be going to the gym. It's one thing to say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year. It's another thing to not eat the candy bar. You know what I'm saying. Words are easy. So Jesus is talking and he's saying these things. And, and almost all the times I've ever heard people tell this story, they really look at it from the position of eternity, from the position of salvation, where one son is doing the will of the Father. If you do the will of God, you're going to end up in heaven. And the other one, if you do not do the will of God, it's, it's, it's another place for you. And so everyone that I've ever heard talk about this message is really looking at it from a point of Jesus trying to talk about salvation. But if you read it inside of the context of the chapter in Matthew 21, it is another thing that Jesus is talking about. At this point in time, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's, it's the week before the crucifixion. He's gone into the temple. He's tipped over the money changers. He's making a big ruckus. He's saying, hey, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, yet you guys have made it into a den of thieves. So he's causing all this commotion. After this happens, he goes out. There's a fig tree. There's no fruit on this fig. No figs from the fruit on the tree. Tongue twister there. Anyway, so he goes, and there's no fruit there, and he says he curses this plant and it withers and it dies, and the disciples look at him and say, wow. And they're marveled and they're amazed at what Jesus has done. And how could you do this? And then Jesus says, he says these words in Matthew 21 and verse 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what have been done to this fig tree, but also say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea, and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So Jesus has come into town. He's made the, these claims to everyone around by flipping over the money table, 
money changers tables by doing by clearing the house saying this is a house of prayer so all of a sudden all the leaders are beginning to take notice oh wait wait a minute what's going on and then all of a sudden jesus is cursing the fig tree and wait a second what, what, what's going on and so they pose this question to him in verse 23 it should be on the screen matthew 21 and 23 now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and saying, by what authority do you do these things, and who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I, likeli- I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying this, If we say it's from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say it's from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered, excuse me, they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And this is where he goes into this story. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first son and he said this. And he goes into the story. So what's happening is Jesus is making this, all this commotion. The leaders don't like it. And so they go. And their question is, by what authority are you doing these things? Who, who, who gives you the right to come into the temple Flip over these things. Who gives you the right to say that this is going to be a house of prayer? Who gives you the right to say that this is what your prayer life is going to look like? That you can say to these mountains, move, and it's going to have... What authority are you saying all these? Why should we believe you? What is going on? And so Jesus is, is looking at them, and he, he poses this question. Well, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. And he says, what about John? And... They come back with this, this, there's this, I could just kind of see the leaders in this huddle for a moment, and they're just like, well, wait a minute. If we say this, if we say it was from heaven, if John's baptism was from heaven, that means we're affirming John. And John is the same one that said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. So in affirming John, that means we're going to affirm him. We don't want that, so we're not going to do that. Yet we do affirm John but we're not going to let him know that. But if we say it's not for men, that means we're not saying that John was a prophet. And so we're fearing all the people and what he might say. So they're kind of caught in this catch-22 of either way we go, Jesus is going to get us. And this is their thinking. This is their mentality. Their mentality is they're asking a question about authority but yet they don't want the answer that they already know the answer to. They already know because they say, if we say this about Jesus, he's going to answer this way. If we say this about Jesus, he's going to answer this way. And so what is Jesus saying here when he begins to speak this parable? Okay, well, suppose this. Suppose there is this man who has two sons. And he tells this thing not not exactly from the perspective of salvation, but from the perspective of here is authority that's been placed in your life how will you respond even when you know the answer and even when the answer is not the thing that you want? Even when the answer is not 
the thing that makes you comfortable. Because these people knew. What they wanted is to affirm what they already believed. What they already believed is Jesus has to get out of this place. We need to do things my way. And so their answer to Jesus was a lie. I don't know. And so we'll just kind of play the middle ground. I don't know. Well, the fact is they did know. They just didn't like the answer. How often when God speaks to us and he tells us what to do, we don't like what he says. (laughs) Authority. (laughs) Jesus, okay, tells us to do something. Me, under authority, do this. Uh, But wait a minute, God. (laughs) Hold on. See, the thing is, when we come to salvation, when we come to know Jesus, we're saying, God, I will follow you. And when we're saying, I will follow you, that means we'll follow you everywhere, no matter where you lead us. We sang the song this morning, uh, this life I'll lose. I will follow you. Do we really mean that? Or are we kind of questioning like these Pharisees and Sadducees? And what are we really saying is, yeah, Lord, I'll follow you up to the point that I disagree with you. I'll follow you up to the point until things get really hard. I'll follow you. It's a great idea. It's a great idea to lose 10 pounds. It's a great idea to join the gym. It's a great idea to make these resolutions. It's going to get hard. Following Jesus is going to get hard. He's going to say something to you that you don't like, and you're going to have a decision to make. Well, what authority are you under? What authority? Is it your life, or is it his? Did you not say that, Jesus, my life is yours, to shape and to mold and to do with what you will? You know, whenever we were baptized, that means we went under the water. That means we died. And when we came up, it was a new life, a new life, a new day in him. And we're saying all of the old is gone, all of the past, all of that, and it's a new day in Christ. And however he wishes to mold me and use me, I am his no matter what, whether you do things that I agree with or not. Whether you say things that make sense to me or not, Lord, I'll still serve you. See, the thing is, we kind of take commitments and we take resolutions very, very lightly here in America in today's society. See, not long ago, um, about four or five years ago, me and my wife bought a piece of property. And when we went to the bank to sign the piece, the deeds and contracts and all that other mess uh the lawyers or whoever they put the paperwork in front of us and we began to sign our name and when we did it they handed us and and they handed us a pen to sign here with blue or black ink and we take that pen and it's just kind of funny how when things are really important when it's when you're signing your name to something that matters you can't do it in pencil It has to be in pen. Sign here in blue or black ink because (laughs) there's no erasing that. You commit to it. 
you're going to pay X amount of dollars every month for X amount of years. Sign here in blue or black ink. Jesus also says when we come to him, sign here, but he's asking it in red. See, he signed his name in red, and he's asking the exact same thing of me and you. Sign here in red. And there was a father that had two sons, and he said, won't you come and work with me? And we have a decision to make. We have a choice. How many of us often just say yes, but we sign in pencil? How often do we want to just erase it when things get hard? Sign here in red. Everything. God is unapologetically saying, I want it all. Everything, every, every day, every moment, 365 days a year, 8,765 hours, 525,948 minutes, 31,556,926 seconds every day of this year I want from you. Sign here. Are you willing to listen to Jesus and to follow him no matter what he says? 2012, I didn't know when Charles had said uh, about a year of authority. I think this year God wants to be our authority. I think this year God wants to say it's going to be all about me. What you want, all these things, it has to be what he wants. We're going to move out and we're going to move towards something. We're going to move towards his promise for us. Not just all the things and all the things that we desire, but what he desires to do in us and for us and through us. And so the good news is it is a brand new day. The good news is his mercies are new every morning. The good news is if you've made resolutions in the past, if you failed time and time again, the good news is if you've been like me and you've made these things and only to find yourself at the end of the year still coming up short, today is a new day. January 1st, 2012, we have a chance for all things. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is therefore a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's a brand new day for you and me. It's a brand new start. It doesn't matter if you failed last year. It doesn't matter if your priorities got out of whack last year. It is a brand new day. I have a short video that I'd like to show you. Your grace is new. Our past is behind us. We thank you that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and everything has been made new. Lord, my prayer this morning, if we have been like those two sons, often we've kind of played both roles. The son that has said yes only to to turn away and not do what you've asked. Oh Lord, also like the other son that has said no and repented and turned back to you and done your will. Lord, my prayer is that we would say yes and that we would listen and follow 
and obey. Lord, we would be ones that would hear your voice this year and follow after you. That, Lord, just kind of in our own hearts this morning, we would sign our names in red ink that just kind of represents our everything to you, Lord. That we give it all to you. Lord, help us to keep you at the top of our priority list and to not only say it, but to live it. Lord, that day by day, we would live as you are number one. You are everything. Lord, for 2012, for this church, Lord, that you would take complete control. That you would have your way and your will in this place. Lord, here that you would find a group of believers that desire to follow hard after you. To step out in faith and love and and courage. Here we are, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we leave today, I'd like to give you guys um, a, a challenge. You know, each year, you know, as you're making your resolutions and things that you want to do, uh, as a church, I'm going to challenge you guys in these four areas. Number one, to read your Bible. To every day, read your Bible. Whether, whatever works best for you, whether if you're a morning person afternoon, right before bed, you need to find what time works for you and to read your Bible. On um, a website called YouVersion, it's a free site, YouVersion. You can get it on your phone, you get it on your iPad, all different kinds of things. There's 50 different translations of the Bible. There's tons of different reading plans that, that you could go through to read the entire Bible in a year. If you don't like those plans, you could, you could simply read Three chapters a day and five chapters on Sunday, and you'll have the entire Bible read in a year. So my challenge is to read the Bible every day. And if come June you find that, hey, I've fallen way behind, hey, I've just skipped an entire three weeks or something, it's okay. Pick it back up. Keep going. You're like me. It might take two years to read the one-year Bible. It's all right. It's okay. Read the Bible every day. Pray every day. For so long, a lot of times when it comes to prayer, what we've told people is to get alone, sit down one hour, spend that time with God. And for a lot of us, that's really impossible. Or for a lot of us, it's not that it's impossible, but it's really, really hard to do. And we find that we'll try to do that and then we'll fail. So let me encourage you to just kind of start with small steps. Let me encourage you that every day on your way to work, turn your radio off. Most of us have at least a 15-minute drive to work. Turn your radio off and use that 15 minutes on your way to work. You have nothing else to do but drive. And use that time to pray. Use that time to talk to God. Say, whatever it is that's on your heart. Roll up all the windows. Roll them down. Whatever you want to do. You can be as loud as you want. Pray on your way to work, on your way home from work. That would be a a great way to start and to really kickstart your prayer life. Um, 
turn the radio off. Read, pray, give. Uh, we're at a time, economically, everything, where a lot of people are struggling financially. Don't, don't stop giving. Give, give in every way possible. Give your tithe to the church. Give uh, your life. Give everything that you can. When, so, when God tells you to give something, just do it. Just give. Uh, I know things are tight. I know things start to struggle. Um, it's just amazing. Me and Kyle were talking the other day about how when, when you give, God has just a way of multiplying things in a way that doesn't make sense mathematically. You know, uh, you'll, make, you'll make far more money on 90% than you ever will 100%. I guarantee you. And it's another thing that this church stands behind. We challenge you guys to tithe and to continue to tithe. And if after six months uh, of tithing and giving your tithe to church, if you say, hey, this whole tithing thing is not for me, come and talk to me or to Chris. Uh, we'll give you all of your money back. Because we stand on what the Bible says, that if, if you do these things, God is going to open up a window of heaven. You are going to be blessed. You are going to live so much better off of 90% than you ever will 100. So please read, pray, give, and then serve. And when I say serve, it's us giving our lives, mentoring someone else, giving what God has given us, and giving it away. You know, just before service, Kathy was saying how she's reading this book and how it's bringing this realization that it's not, it's not just uh, um, we, we don't have control over where we were born or the fact that we have blue, blue eyes or what color. We don't even have credit for the gifts and talents that God's given us. There were gifts and talents that God has given you, and he's given you for a, pers- for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to give them away. The world needs you. The world needs all of those things that are inside of you to come out and to come alive. You know, one of my favorite quotes, if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard it before, is uh, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what you need to come alive. Because what the world needs is people that are alive. In 2012, the world is looking out there. Brunswick County is looking out there. This church is looking out there and saying, where are the people that are alive? Where are the people that are truly saying yes to God and living it out in their daily, everyday life, no matter what the circumstances? So these are four practical ways that I would encourage you as a church, as an individual to say, hey, if I'm wanting more of God in my life this year, if I'm wanting to move more on that path out of the exodus into towards the promise, these are four things that are going to practically help you every day to get there, to read your Bible, to pray, to give, and to serve. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.